นโมทัสสะกวาทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะกวาทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะกวาทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสะ
is really worth dwelling on. And those of you that are familiar with Ajahn Chah's teaching, Ajahn Sumedho's teaching, uh, of course, will have come across how, how often our teachers direct us towards reflecting on letting go. It came up in conversation recently uh, with somebody how I first met uh, Ajahn Sumato and what a, uh, what a tremendous impact that had on me. Um, I think we might have been talking about how I first came across Ajahn Chah's teachings and, and it is something that's puzzled me. I thought over the years a boy brought up in a, in a small country town in a swamp and called Morrinsville in New Zealand. Now, how could you end up living with uh, the great teachers and forest monasteries in Thailand, Ajahn Tate, Ajahn Chah? Huh? Uh, well, it's speculative. But what I do know is that I'm very grateful, uh, hugely grateful for that good fortune. Uh, and I do, I still remember very vividly my first encounter with Ajahn Sumato and one of the things that really struck me was this, uh, this rare, this, well, as far as I was concerned, it was, uh, yeah, I wasn't familiar with somebody who had such a, a great sense of humour but also had really good discipline. Um, I, I knew people who had a good sense of humour but not much discipline. You couldn't really trust them. Uh, I knew people who were very disciplined, but seriously boring and uh, not much fun to be with. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho had something that I wasn't familiar with. and uh, A friend of mine who introduced me to Ajahn Sumedho, uh, he was a novice at the time, uh, somewhere near Dumiko, and he was actually at, uh, somebody I'd shared a flat with in Sydney and a, a travelling companion for a while. He uh, he had arrived in Thailand before I did, and he ended up living at uh, Wapapong and and became an attendant to Ajahn Sumato and was in Bangkok because Ajahn Sumato's foot needed some medical attention. And we happened to meet each other, Dumiko and I, and he took me around to introduce me to Ajahn Sumato. And I can still remember when we had had a cup of coffee together, and uh, some near Dumiko offered Ajahn Sumato another cup of coffee, and the way Ajahn Sumato said. No, thank you. That's enough. Yeah. It wasn't that you know, precious, goody-goody, two-choose spiritual person depriving himself of another yummy cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It was just appropriate. And you know, he was able to say no in a way that was admirable, was beautiful. And, and talking to him, talking with Ajahn Sumedha on that occasion, and then later becoming familiar with Ajahn Chah. The emphasis not on following the, the gaining mind that's always trying to get somewhere and achieve something and overcome something, but the emphasis on learning how to let go skillfully, skillful letting go. So all of us, uh, having come across this teaching, uh, uh, share in the good fortune of the encouragement, receiving the encouragement to not pretend that we don't have goals, not pretend that we don't 
have work to do, but the way we approach the idea of goals, the way we pick up what we call our practice, can be fundamentally different if the emphasis is on learning how to let go properly. Now, letting go, when we start to experience the benefit of it, it actually can be a mixture of a great relief, the good feeling of of putting down the struggle. We don't have to be following our desires to become enlightened or get rid of our problems. It could be a great relief. But as I say, it could be a mixture of a great relief, but also it can be very disorienting. Because as we experience a little letting go of some of the familiar stories that we've been telling ourselves for a very long time, possibly for a very, very long time, like being somebody doing something to get somewhere, as we experience letting go happening, we're not doing the letting go, but the way practice works, letting go sometimes just happens. How wonderful. But as wonderful as it can be, it can also... Yeah, be disorienting. The old familiar sense of security, feeling like we know who we are and what we're doing, maybe that doesn't hold anymore. In fact, there can be some serious confusion come as a result of letting go. What initially was a very inspiring, uplifting and welcome practice can feel threatening on all levels. Deeply threatening. Mm-hmm. So it's good that we're prepared for this, and prepared also that this practice is not just uh, about gradual moments of becoming better at learning how to let go. You know, some people, it seems, experience you know, something that could be described as more like a, a seismic letting go. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, a fundamental shift in perception might describe it as recognizing the possibility of living out of pure knowing, just knowing, simple awareness. However, it might be described, it can have very serious consequences. It seems to be that for some people that's what happens and it stays like that and that open-hearted, clear-minded, just-knowing perception persists. For others, it seems to be the case that there is this opening and then seems to be closing down again, and what's left is a memory. But the memory persists, and if it's understood accurately, and practice from that point onwards is distinctly different. Some people, such deep letting go happens in the context of formal practice. Others, maybe they're not even necessarily particularly familiar with the concept of formal practice. And sometimes hear about people who experience a shift in perception that's not like anything else they've known before. It's 
at the same time extraordinarily special but thoroughly normal at the same time, exactly the same time and thereby uh, introduced to an appreciation of the the multidimensional nature of our consciousness Uh, what could appear completely contradictory perceptions can be existing at exactly the same time Now, all of this can be very confusing. So this path of practice that emphasizes letting go rather than achieving and becoming, this path of practice is to be approached, the word that comes to my mind is with reverence, with respect, with caution. with humility, with agility. If we're somebody who is uh, used to being in control and our faculties are conditioned by uh, the perception of being somebody who really knows what they're doing, where they're going, then, you know, maybe those conditioned tendencies are not just going to fall away because you touch into some deep stillness or have a profound sense of opening whereby all the familiar certainties shift. doesn't mean to say all those familiar tendencies are going to fall away and suddenly be transformed. It can still be the impulse to be somebody doing something. And it can be, as I'm saying, very, very confusing. And so what is probably useful, what's probably beneficial is to contemplate what I started off by saying is that the truth is, the refuge is, in knowing what we can really know here and now, which is I don't know. I don't have to know what this means, even when this is apparently very, very, very different. One reason for talking about this is because when these shifts take place, there is a distinct sense of unfamiliarity the conditions can tempt us to being pulled into trying to understand, trying to know, wanting to get it. Maybe it appeared extraordinarily normal and extraordinarily special and exceptionally attractive. But if that openness is not what's happening here and now, then we need to be very astute, very careful in letting ourselves be pulled into struggling to get it back again. There can be that temptation, maybe. So it takes a great subtlety. And so as to tune into that subtlety that's called for, that's really necessary 
that subtlety of seeing, of hearing, of investigating, not just asking questions, but asking in the right way, very sensitively, like asking the Buddha a question. How would we ask the Buddha a question? That's how we want to approach this level of inquiry. Imagine we were sitting in front of the Buddha. How would we ask him a question? Being alert to the habitual tendencies of really wanting to know. And preparing ourselves for anything, basically. When letting go happens deeply, there can be ramifications that we perhaps hadn't expected. Maybe mm-hmm. you're somebody who likes reading the scriptures and or reading teachings uh, and you haven't come across uh, an explanation of what happens when a deep letting go occurs and uh, you find there can be an exposure to raw emotional content that you hadn't been anywhere near for decades. Mm-hmm. And the filters and the armour and the, the uh, obstruction of personality yeah, is, is diluted and not functioning in the way that uh, we structured it to function yeah, out of defence against our pain. Yeah, and when that's not happening anymore, is a it can be an excruciating rawness with old, uninspected emotional material. How could something so frightening, so unpleasant, so unwelcome happen after that? Hmm? All we are saying is wise to prepare ourselves for anything could happen. The emotional level, the physical level, extreme weight loss, maybe extreme weight gain, other physical conditions, relational disruptions, people that we meet, maybe people that we're really, really happy to meet, or maybe people that we really, really didn't want to meet. Uh, as this part of the practice of letting go deepens uh, to appreciate the, a distinct change in flavour yes it can feel like a relief a welcome relief but it can also feel like it's challenging us on all levels uh, and comparing ourselves to other people sometimes is useful, sometimes beneficial, sometimes not so much. The undoing of this configuration, the undoing of this tangle of self-belief is always going to be unique. However, there are some similarities, and yes, as I was saying, talking to others, listening to others can really be beneficial. And so, in this regards, and saying earlier, we are all really fortunate to have access to teachers 
who have walked this path before us and can give us some hints, can give us some guidance. And, you know, one of the characteristics of the path of letting go is that it's more likely to be an effort in learning to trust more rather than to do more. Characterized by a trusting heart, trusting in what is, what's there behind all the habitual impulses to control. As we start to see these habitual impulses to control falling away, we don't know what's going to come next, including protecting ourselves against death, which we're desperately keen to do. As we engage in this practice of letting go, what's going to happen? We trust. Trust, trusting works. And we can't argue ourselves into believing in that, and we wouldn't want to argue ourselves into believing that, but it is useful to experiment. But instead of trying to fix ourselves with a sense of synthetic security, and I know what I'm doing, I know where I'm going, feel the consequence of that impulse. It's a contraction. It's a contraction of awareness. Things start to close down when we allow ourselves to be pulled into that. What happens if we allow ourselves to move out of that and open up again? That movement is called trusting. Mm-hmm. And I, I've often referred to that that movement, that shift and approach to practice as being more source-oriented rather than goal-oriented in our practice. It just makes sense from this perspective mm-hmm. that we've been talking about. It just makes sense. Not something to argue with anybody about, of course. You know, you know. And some people, you talk like this and they will, they'll completely write you off. Uh, somebody was telling me recently, somebody had been reading various chat rooms on the internet, was telling me how there's uh, all this criticism of the, some of the forest masters in Thailand. You know, people explicitly pointing out that Eisen Chow really was practicing wrongly. He really didn't know what he was doing. And, uh, well, that's, that's understandable that somebody might say that, you know, like a, a fish talking to a turtle. You might think the turtle's, you know, having hallucinations. Uh, well, talking about going for a walk along the beach, you know, how nice it was to sun yourself sitting there on the sand and, you know, chilling before you go back into the water again. You think the fish is probably going to think this turtle's got a problem. Well, you know, well likewise, uh, people who uh, haven't, necessarily practiced they won't get a lot of what we're talking about so it's important to uh, be cautious uh, who we're talking to and what we say and just as we can be confused as the path of letting go unfolds other people can likewise get confused and there are those who who have a distinct preference to the feeling of certainty. Notice this, you listen to not just the teachings of some of the theistic religions, which generally tend to emphasize how to feel certain about things, but also a lot of Buddhist teachings. Similarly, giving answers, techniques, uh, 
specific teachings on what to do so as to make yourself feel confident. The confidence that is perhaps more likely to emerge out of practicing letting go is maybe a more organic kind of confidence. It doesn't require promoting or propping up. It's just what's more likely to emerge. And a different attitude towards suffering. Again, we find a lot of teachers and teachings will be talking about how to be free from suffering, but from the perspective of deep letting go, suffering is no longer an indictment against who we are. Suffering is a pointing. You might even start to feel welcoming, positively interested in suffering. Because suffering shows us where the work is. From the perspective of really believing and being somebody, doing something to get somewhere, suffering is a sign of what a failure I am. But that's not the only perspective. And of course, as we were discussing last night, the Buddha's teaching the Dhamma Chakrabhuatana Sutta, the emphasis on the Buddha's teaching is how to pay skillful attention to the actuality of what we refer to as suffering, how to train our faculties so as to be in tune at the right time and the right way with this experience of contraction. Uh, We feel drawn into the vortices of clinging. Even if you have experienced a deep letting go and have some familiarity with the just-knowing mind. Saying before, the habits of being pulled into these currents of clinging don't just necessarily automatically disappear. And therein lies our practice, our work. Studying the tendency, sometimes gross, sometimes subtle, studying until we get to know for ourselves this is what's happening. Right here and now, this is what's happening. This being born into a contracted sense of me is happening and there's the cause, that inclination to cling. Now, of course, all these words, these are approximations, you know, Self, birth, clinging, so that we can have a conversation with each other, and thank goodness we can, so we can have this kind of conversation with each other. We need to use these approximations. But our relationship with the approximations is going to change the more familiar we are with letting go. It becomes, as Ajahn Chah pointed out in that talk, what is contemplation that I've referred to many times. It starts off as contemplation using concepts, internal dialogue, but it moves towards silence, contemplation in silence. Feeling the current of clinging doesn't require necessarily a whole lot of thinking once our attention has been 
trained to trust in silent investigation. And we will behave differently when we have access to such tools of investigation. Mm. I remember a time when I was in New Zealand and I was swimming in the ocean in an area of the west coast of New Zealand near a place called Piha. I got caught in, in what's uh, called a, a rip current. I used to think it was called an undertow, but I looked it up on Wikipedia recently, and it's called a rip current. And, and it's, it's where uh, you can't necessarily see it unless you're trained. You can't see that there's a hollow area in the sand, and so as the water's coming in towards the shore, it generates a countercurrent uh, under the surface. And if you get caught in that countercurrent, that rip current, you can very easily get pulled way out into the ocean. An undertow, which is what I used to think it was called, is actually something else and is always there. But this rip current is a phenomenon that happens under certain circumstances. And I wasn't informed enough to know that when you look at the breakers and in a particular area there's no white breakers there, that's dangerous. You don't go into the water there because that's probably where you'll find a rip current. I didn't know that. But fortunately what happened was I did have enough familiarity with being in the ocean that I was able to allow myself on that occasion to be dragged out to sea and then along the beach and then use the current of the waves to push myself into the shore and uh, didn't, fortunately. I'm very grateful I didn't drown on that occasion. It does regrettably happen to a lot of people because when you're not familiar with that, what tends to happen is you panic. You get caught into this current and it's frightening. Similarly in our spiritual adventures, we need to proceed cautiously, carefully, quietly, so we're less likely to get pulled into habitual reactions and be born into an old, struggling, familiar sense of me trying to control. If you try to control a rip current, very unlikely to happen. The force of the ocean is much too great. Likewise, some of our habits... With fear, with ill will. Mm. Try to control it. Mm. Sometimes we've got to ride it. We even have to allow a certain degree of being caught up, even. Mm. Not acting out, that's different. That's where the protection of our precepts supports us, protects us from danger. We're not going to cross certain boundaries. Also, where the, uh, the tremendous value of uh, the cultivation of nekama parami, or renunciation. Uh, if we don't properly understand nekama parami, we maybe think of renunciation as uh, giving up 
things for some moral reason. And, uh, you know, really, the cultivation of renunciation is, is cultivating a distinctly different capacity for letting go. Even when we, we may feel drawn towards an impulse of anger A distinctly different strength means you don't have to succumb to that. So we might practice renunciation with not going on the internet one day a week or or not eating certain foods or not having that extra cup of coffee or whatever it might be. Those are the outer forms of the cultivation of renunciation. But what we're actually doing is refining down indriya samvara, yeah. uh, strengthening sense restraint, yeah. the ability to not follow conditioned pathways. Mm. So, yeah. when what we're faced with is an upthrust of wild anger or, or toxic conceit, or, yeah terrifying fear if we have the resources available to us to not believe in that impulse not be pulled into that vortex, that current that's that's precious, that's valuable so familiarizing ourselves with these possibilities and doesn't mean to say that the path and practice of letting go is going to become immediately easy but we will be perhaps sustained in our effort with what I was referring to earlier as a a quiet quality of confidence not something that we necessarily take personally but something that we're very grateful to see gradually emerge Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Andamayang Dhamma Vadakata Sadhu Karang Dhamma Singh